0: Welcome to another inspirational message from The Chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Thanks, Andy. Hey, um, how about Andrew's fresh cut? Can we appreciate that for a moment? (laughs) It's the morning of fresh cuts. Daz has got one. I even got my hair did. Uh, And so that's very exciting. Um, You know what? I spent seven minutes of last week's 15 minutes giving the summary of Genesis to this point so far. So I'm not doing that this week. I'm just going to crack on into it. Um, But just let me give you slight context. And that is we had Abraham and Sarah needing to have a baby, um, wanting to have a baby, promised a baby. Uh, they, with their slave woman, um, Hagar, um, that was the, you know, plan B. We'll make this happen. It's not happening, so we'll make this happen. And they and Hagar had a son called Ishmael. Ishmael got sent away. Ishmael means God hears. Um, and Ishmael got sent away with Hagar. And the son of promise came. Well, that's why he got sent away, because the son of promise came, called Isaac. And Isaac then had a few babies called Esau and Jacob. Um, Esau grabbed um, Jacob no. Jacob grabbed Esau's heel on the way out. Two twin boys coming out. That sounds horrific and painful, um, but they came out and uh, and Jacob was called usurper which is sounds similar to heal in Hebrew um, but also is the action of usurping in that when you want to pull when you want to get ahead and you pull someone down to get yourself ahead um, that you actually um, I just like noticed a selfie up the back I want to get in on that it's just like hashtag the chapel hashtag bronze preaching Um, and uh, when you when you pull someone down to get yourself ahead um, that is called usurping. So we're going to take it up with chapter 27 and 28. Um, so you can, I'm, I'm really just going to hit the main things again because it's such a, um, a, a run through Genesis. We're hitting the major themes rather than going line by line because this book alone has, let me see, many chapters, 50 odd chapters, 50 chapters. So it would take us all year if we did a chapter a week. So 27 and 28, here we are. And if you'll remember last week, Jacob stole Esau's birthright. What is that? Well, in Hebrew um, custom, if you have an oldest child, they get half the inheritance. Any eldest children in the room? All (laughs) All you bossy boots, super responsible people. In addition to all that, you get half the inheritance. And any subsequent children in the room? Any subsequent? Okay, so all the rest of us, we get whatever breakup of that half is. So just say um, mum had nine kids, Um, anyone one of nine, (laughs) God bless you, Um, the eldest would get half the inheritance, the remaining eight would get the remaining half, split eight ways. And so um, that had already been stolen, if you will, or deceived out of in that Esau um, came in really hungry one day, Jacob had made a delicious smelling lentil stew Esau said give that to me and I'll give you my birthright oh no he said give that to me Jacob said I will if you give me your birthright and Esau gave that to him so here we have the next part of this in that Esau goes to his father and his father's about to die I was about to die he's old and he's turning blind blind and he says go and cook me one of those stews that I love Esau there's a lot of stew in the book of Genesis Anyone hoping for stew this Christmas? No one is hoping for stew this Christmas, am I right? Our kids used to call it spew um, when we would make stew. Um, so, but back then, Abraham, lo- I mean, Isaac loved it. So he said, go and make me some stew. Go and make me some goat stew that I love, that wild stew that I love. And so Esau races off into the fields to go and hunt him some wild um, game. And, but Rebecca, the mum, hears and she says, Jacob, quick, Esau's gone to hunt some game. Let's make the stew. Go and get those two young goats. I'll make it. I can make it as good as Esau. And I'll make the stew and I'll, let's serve it up to your dad. You pretend to be Esau and, and get the blessing. And um, Jacob says to her mum, I'm nowhere near as hairy as Esau. Remember that Esau means hair. When he came out, like they were like, oh, uh, and, and called him hair because he was so hairy. Anyone met any of those people? It's just like kind of let me out, let me out the hair out of their, their chest hair. Yeah, so that was Esau. And um, and so he was there and he had that, all that hair going on. And so she said, we'll, we'll put, some hair on you we'll put some hair on your hands and and you can go to him and so he goes to him takes in the stew he eats the stew and he's like okay this tastes like the stew but you sound like Jacob here let me hold your hand feels the hair it's like oh you feel like Esau but you sound like Jacob if we get time we'll talk about gender roles in a minute but if we don't we won't because I didn't get to that last week either um he feels his the hands and he says it it tastes like something that Esau would do, this feels like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Um, Also, Jacob would put on Esau's clothes. So then when he leans in to hug him, he says, oh, you smell like Esau. Okay, I'll give you the blessing. And he gives him the blessing. Then Esau comes in and and he goes to his dad and he said, dad, I've made the stew for you. And his dad said, "I I just ate your stew. You just came in. I've got deja vu right now. And he says, no, 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 I didn't. That was someone else. And he realized that he'd been tricked by Jacob. And the Bible says that Isaac begins to tremble because remember, he loves Esau and he would have already known that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And so he's blessed the wrong child. Um, And so then we take up the story here. Let's go to, let's listen to Esau's blessing in verse 39. It says this, this is the the blessing that Esau gets. He says, because he's saying, Dad, surely you've got one more blessing for me. Surely Surely you haven't given all the blessings to Jacob. And um, it says in verse thirty-nine. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, "You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his you will shake his yoke from your neck." So, um, some blessing that one. Let's compare it to Jacob's blessing in verse twenty-eight. This is the blessing that Jacob got from his dad. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. So here we have this abundant blessing. God's going to look after you. God's going to take care of you. God has got you, Jacob, and you're going to be blessed and there's going to be many descendants. And then we have Esau. Okay, God's not going to, like, you're going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to go out and work. You're going to have to go out and you're going to have enmity with your brother, but you'll you'll be untamed and you'll be free. Just this vast difference in blessing already coming from a place where Esau didn't value what he had. And, you know, it reminds me of the, the parable that Jesus um, told of the talents with the servants. And he said that what little you have will be taken away. If you don't value that, what little you have will be taken away, but to whom has much, more will be even given if they use it right. So I just want to encourage us this morning to value what we've been given, to value what we have, um, so that that even the little that we have doesn't get taken from us. Now, if we have time, I'll touch on foreknowledge versus forewilling, but I'm not sure that we're <laughs> going to get there. So then, um, then we head into, well, obviously they hate each other from that point. Esau hates his brother. He's stolen his inheritance. He's stolen his blessing. He now hates him. And so Jacob flees and because and, his mum says, hey, Jacob, I, don't, I can't leave my husband and my favourite son in the one day. You've got to get out of here. Go and find a wife um, from another land. And the price that she pays for being part of this deception is that she never sees her son again. So Jacob heads over to Padam Aram and find, uh, to find himself a wife. Um, but I want to read to you what happens um, to Esau. This is what Esau does. Verse 6 of 28 says, Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife and that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Paddan Aram. It was now very clear that, to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters in addition to the wives he already had. Well, we've, we looked in previous weeks about the trouble between Ishmael and his brothers <clears throat> and Esau just goes and marries um, Ishmael's da- one of Ishmael's daughters. Now that's better than one of the local women but it's still not what was intended. So Esau has this pattern of I'm just going to try and do what I think is right and we saw that also with Cain. I'll give a, a, a basic offering, I'll, I'll do what I basically think is right um, but it never quite works out for them. It's not that total surrender, it's not that total love of God. Now, as we go to verse 10 to 17, this is where Jacob is fleeing and he falls asleep. Uh, he's has a a, a rock that he uses as his pillow. You know, all these little details. Someone's hoping for that for Christmas. If you are uh, you know, naughty, Santa will give you a rock for a pillow. Um, but he, he lays down on this rock and he has this dream where there's angels going up and down to heaven and and then God stands at the top of the stairway, and he says, "I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth; they will spread out in all directions." So we have this reiteration of the promise that we've been reading about in previous weeks to Abraham for Isaac. This is now given to Jacob. Hey, here's a reiteration of the promise again. God is the God of generations. We are a God, We are a people of the now aren't we? We feel like, God, we want you to accomplish this now. But God's picture is so much larger. And He may not accomplish what he, you think He will, even in your generation, because He's got a long view going on. Let's not, never forget that our God is, has got nations that he's working with. Our God is accomplishing a purpose through nations, not just through you and I. I grew up in the generation of delirious. Anyone else? I'm going to be a history maker in this land. So I'm like, yes, I am. I'm going to be a history maker. I'm going but, but God's like, okay, Bron, sure. And yes, and I applaud your faith and go for it, Bron, with everything. But don't forget that I'm working with nations and generations. And as it relates to that, you're, you're a piece in a puzzle, and the piece in the puzzle that you think you're part of maybe you're a little bit smaller than the piece that you think you are and for me now once upon a time that was devastating now it's liberating because it's like oh God you're going to do what you want no matter what you're going to accomplish your purpose when I get it right when I get it wrong you're going to continue to accomplish your purpose in my life is that liberating for anyone else today like I haven't missed it God's still going to get done what he's going to get done I'm, I'm all for that um okay so then then what happens um so that, well, Jacob wakes up and he says surely God was in this place and I never even knew it bethel he calls it bethel surely God is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it I'm a bethel fan um and then <laughs> it says that what he does with that pillow with that stone is that he builds an altar and every response to every promise that God gives, gives us of any greatness, any goodness, anything at all, any favour, our, our response should always be to build Him an altar. It's never about, oh yes, God, you're gonna do this through me? <laughs> you must think I'm awesome. No, no, it's praise you, God. Glory to you, God. That should be our first response to any promise. Wow, it's the response that David gives when God makes a covenant with him. David says, I want to build you a house, God. And the prophet says to him, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. But the prophet comes back the next day and says, actually, I got that wrong. That's a humble prophet. And, and says, I, I got that wrong. Don't do that. It's not for you to do. It's for your son to do. And, and then God gives Abraham a pro, uh, David a promise and says, you can't build my house. You're a man of war. Your son's going to be a man of peace, but this is what I will do in your bloodline. And none of it is actually to make David great. It's all to make his descendants great. The generations. And David says, who am I, God? Who am I that you would establish me? Glory to you, God. You are such a good God. That is the appropriate response. Okay, so then... Um I'm going to read verse 20 to 22. It says then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place of for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. A couple of um observations there is again obviously he says that he's going to give God all the glory. But also, in this place, Jacob clearly has not yet made the Lord his God. He says, well, God, if you do what you say you're going to do, then you'll be my God. And so Jacob actually hasn't decided that the Lord will be his God. But he's saying, this is his moment. This is his awakening moment. Um, Again, just as a mum of teenagers, that gives me comfort that God brings everyone to that place of decision. God pursues everyone and chases them down and doesn't stop chasing them down, but gives them the opportunity to respond to his goodness and grace. And then also just the other observation is that Jacob gives to God a tithe. He decides in that moment that he's going to give a tithe. Now, I just want to point out to you that this is pre-law. And so when we say, well, tithing is law. Well, no, Jacob's response to God is... I'm gonna give you the first fruit of what I have and that's his heart response. And so I would just wanna encourage us around this. Let's not um, just um, limit um, the response of God first giving to the law. It's pre-law, it's post-law, it's, uh, it's everything. Now, obviously we know that in the New Testament, they gave everything. Everything was God's. They sold everything and it was all held in common. Um, but I, I encourage us here today that yes, it's all God's, so let's show him that we honour him with the first of what we have. All right. I'm actually not sure of where I need to stop, and, and, uh, but I'll just touch on two more things, three more things, four more things. Okay. First is gender roles. Um, you know, Jacob is this soft-spoken mama's boy on the in, uh, inside. And Esau is the one who hunts game and goes out and, and kills things and, and everything like that. I, I, I just want to tell us as a church, I want to help encourage us um, that that is, not, that is not a biblical standpoint of who should be a boy and who should be a girl, okay? Because they're both boys. And one's softly spoken and, and inside and the other one is out there and out he goes. And, uh, and, so, and they're both men. I just want to encourage us because when I was a kid, I was outdoors. Um, you know, as it relates to Darren and I, I would pull a sheep apart and, and to, like a dead sheep, not a real one. Like just, um, but like, you know, if they were decaying on the ground, I'd pull them apart, get the knuckles out so that me and my siblings could play knuckles with the joints. Um, you know, Daz shot a rabbit and felt bad. Um, like, like Daz loves shopping. I want to get in and get out. And, and and you know, I love outdoors and, and have the melanomas to prove it. Daz is a ranger and hates being outdoors. And so I just want to say all that to say that when I was a kid, that was called a tomboy. Um, now, that's called I need to question my gender and my identity. And so I want to ensure that us as a church never put biblical roles around gender that don't even exist there, that would cause a a person growing up in this generation to either say, well, clearly I'm not meant to be in church because I don't fit into those biblical stereotypes that the church is presenting, not actually the Bible, or clearly I'm not the gender that I've been assigned. Like we are creating dumb dichotomies for people. And so let's just let them be who they are in all their uniqueness and thriving and not put gender stereotypes around it. That's the first thing. Next thing is foreknowledge versus forewilling. You see, God said right at the start that the the younger one, no, that the older one would serve the younger. And so what we see here is an outworking of that. I just want to pose to you because you could say all this only happened because God ordained it at the start. I want to pose to you that maybe it was his foreknowledge that he then used his forewilling into. If all those terms are like, I don't even know what you're saying right now. Don't worry. It's cool. Um, That just, I, I want to posit to you that God acts according to his foreknowledge. He knows what's happening. He knows that Pharaoh was a bad guy. And so he hardens Pharaoh's heart he, and, and, and makes all that happen through Pharaoh. He already knows that that's who Pharaoh is. Um, so oh, I can't cover predestination in two minutes. So we'll just leave that there. Okay, last thing, second last, if I've got time. Last thing is... Rema versus Logos, okay? All here in the Old Testament are words that are given to people specifically. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessings, Ephesians says, that was given. But I I wanna tell you that we're also promised suffering. Jesus promised that we'd have trouble in this world. So let's claim all the blessings while understanding that we are ordained for suffering as well. And that that suffering will work good in us. Why do I say that? Because... Um, I've got a relative who was having a miscarriage and while she was having a miscarriage was quoting what God said to the people of Israel as they walked through the desert and it was great for her to be quoting that and it was great for her to to be leaving that but unless she knows that that was a word to them at that specific time for them then her disappointment with God can be that, well, you promised that, God. Well, no, 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 He promised them that. And while we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, we live in a fallen and decaying world that we have to live in the reality of. And so to maintain that God is good and that He's still good, even when we go through bad, that is our challenge. And if we misappropriate Scripture and apply it to our lives when it wasn't actually promised to us, but it was promised to them at that time for a purpose, then we will end up disappointed with God. Okay, finally, as I pack up, look, I'm even packing up. I'm even walking over. I mean, is that um, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You see, Jacob got the blessing from Isaac and Esau missed out. We live now under the blessing of grace and goodness and generosity and kindness and favour of God. And it is freely available for everybody. I'll finish with this vision that God gave me once. It was this little honey eater. Um, And uh, it was going to this tree. And and, and I was like, I had this this deception in my heart, this lie that I believed that if someone else got something, that meant that I was missing out on that. But God showed me this vision of this honey eater that went to a tree and the tree was massive And there were honey eaters everywhere. Now, I don't actually know what honey eaters eat. Maybe honeysuckles, I don't know. But it was having flowers on the tree. But there were so many more flowers than there were honeysuckles. And God showed me that His blessing is so vast and so broad. And there is plenty of room in that shade for everybody. There's plenty of fruit for everybody to get something from. And so when someone else gets something, I can celebrate them and not feel like I'm missing out on something. And so I want to encourage you with that today. Um, God, you live under the favour and the blessing of God. And there's plenty to go around. And so when anyone else gets something, you can celebrate them. You don't have to uh, feel like you've missed out. Amen. All right, we're going to take five minutes now. You can discuss um, what foreknowledge and forewilling means if you like, or you might want to stay well away from that. But you can discuss whatever you like around the table or just read through that passage yourself or you might just want to scroll.
1: It's good to see you all. What a year, eh? What an extraordinary year we have And are living through these uh, incredible times. And so looking forward to Christmas, looking forward to the end of the year, looking forward to giving thanks to God, looking forward to the year to come. What a time to be alive. What a time to have breath. What a time to live in a nation of wealth and of opportunity and of healthcare and of underpinned salaries and of peace. We're in a place where you can serve Jesus freely and openly and I honestly believe that um I honestly believe that if we'll get this generation right the best days of the church are in front of us not behind us I would listen to the media uh, rate their opinion far less than I rate God's and uh if we'll see the gospel and get it right you and I as a church uh will get it right over the next period of time Jesus will build his church people will come to faith people will inherit eternity And we're in good shape. Well, Bronnie talked about, obviously, Esau and Jacob. And uh, my job is to point us forward from that. So pretty well what I'm going to do today is use Esau and Jacob to just build a turn to where I want to go. And um, Esau and Jacob, we see in the, the moment of the blessing. Can you imagine Esau in the moment of the blessing? Like his brother's blessing and his. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've got siblings. I do. And if my brother got the good blessing and I got the other one, I'd have a struggle with my brother. I'd have a struggle with my dad. And it says he says it before God, I'd have a struggle with God. So here's Esau. He's got risk offense on three levels, his brother, his dad, and God. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that unless his wife's in on it or he had multiple wives or his wives are in on it as well. I mean, if you add your wife, that's an horrendous situation. You and I would have something to get over in that. And so um, I'm going to use that to segue and talk about, uh, I talked last time I was on about offence and living unoffendable. And I, w- I want to pick up there because as we move to the end of the year, uh, a lot's happened this year. I'm sure a lot's happened for you. You know, people are, I'm still watching people treat people who aren't vaccinated terribly. And I won't use the kind of sentence I had said in my head just then. But we should be the most inclusive. I didn't swear, by the way. Uh, we, we We should be the most inclusive people on the planet. We should be the most embracing people. And thank God in that sense we are. In fact, the church is the singular entity in Australia, the only one that I'm aware of at least, where the government said, here are the rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated. And the church and the Jewish community and others fought hard. And the government acknowledged, yes, this should be a place where the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, singular um, we had the advantage and so we should be the most inclusive people I believe on the planet certainly in our nation and so but a lot's happened a lot's happened to you and to me and a lot's gone on and and now we're moving towards Christmas and for a lot of people there are relational dynamics as you come to the Christmas table for some of you aren't there you know, you're very, if you think about your various Christmas parties, maybe family ones, maybe other ones, there's a few relational dynamics going on for a few people. And then, of course, we're heading into a new year. And I, I, I'm sure many of you are like me. When I head into a new year, I want to head into it like the slate clean, my spirit good, full of what God's got for the year to come. I want to live the year that's coming next really well before God and amongst people. I want to live it well. And so I want to talk about unoffendable because what I would really love, bottom line, is for you to be able to put the past behind you uh, in a practical way. I'd love for us to be able to navigate uh, Christmas conversations and relationships really, really well. But more than that, I'd love all of us to be able to start the year with truly a clean slate as it relates to the offenses that have come our way. The reality is that you and I encounter offense at every point. Uh, to, To make my point, think about this. Someone in the room today, someone in the room today, someone you can think of, has offended you more than they know. Now, the person most likely in this room to cause the most offense to this room is me. That, that's just the truth, because I speak regularly, and I encounter more of you than most. And, and then Bron is a little bit sharper, a little bit more articulate, a little bit... I don't know, and probably slightly less risk of offence. So you have likely forgiven me more offence than I know, die case. That's the truth, right? And in fact, those of you who know me well, like Trisha's in my line of sight, I know that Trisha's had to forgive me in ways that I don't even know. She's had to get over offence. As a result, so has Dan because he knows about it. And that's true of... As I look around this room, some of you who I've known for forever, the reality is what's true of me as it relates to you is true of you as it relates to everyone around you. There's all kinds of offence that you've created intentionally or accidentally that people have let you off that you'll never know about. Thank God for that. I bumped into Dan Urquhart at the movies last night and I just started to think about all the offence that he's caused me over all the years. If I told Dan, I don't want to go into it now, but, you know, if I did tell, no. The, how to live unoffendable. And how to live unoffendable, especially in times like these. Because I, I honestly have never seen a time like this. I don't know about what it's like, but if you think about social media, it's almost a thing to be offended at something or for someone, isn't it? Like people just find their cause to be offended at. And then what happens, what's really good, is when I get out of sorts around my offence, I've got a good friend who's going to stand offended with me. That's What a great friend. Going to just reinforce my offence with me. They're right on my side. They're going to point out every reason why I should stay offended. But offence is never helpful. It's never helpful. I've never seen it helpful to one person, not one time, not ever. So how do we live unoffended? And last time I talked about this, we talked about just sign off on a zero-tolerance policy. Like, we, it's easy to preach, it's hard to live, but it's worth the living. And going, you know, I'm just not going to allow it. I woke up this morning, honestly, you know what I woke up this morning? I struggled with not being offended. Yep. This morning. Even Bron's not sure what it is. She's thinking, what on earth could it be? It was not her, by the way, not you. But I was thinking about something I've got to do this week. And, and it wasn't that you would have, artic- or you would have identified it as offensive. W- I just noticed that I didn't want to do it. I was resistant. I don't want to give the people involved my best heart. And I thought, ah, oh, that, that's an indicator of offence. I'm actually in the ballpark. And so then you think about, well, what do I need to do in response to that? How to live unoffended. So last time I talked about that, today I want to pick up the headline that I gave, which you have all remembered, but I didn't drill down on. Here's the point: two, Soft heart, thick-skinned, can't lose. Soft heart, thick-skinned, can't lose. Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3 say this. Always... Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Speaking to the church. Making allowance for each other's faults. Because of, your, because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And then later in the same chapter of Ephesians, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That you, you could just drop the mic on Ephesians 40, 4.32 and walk off. It says, always be humble and gentle. And, and I think if I'm gonna live soft if I'm gonna live unoffendable, at some point it's gonna take humility. Uh, pride will never, never give up offense. Humility gives up offense. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about Jesus and how he made himself nothing, right? And how he humbled himself even to death on a cross, that he became the servant of all. he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but he laid it all down and became the servant of all. And, and it's actually talking about a picture of humility. In the middle of that passage in Ephesians 2, it says this, In humility, value others above yourself, not looking out for your own interests, but the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, and then it goes on, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider a quality of God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And so just humility makes it less about me. Humility makes it more about others. Humility resists leveraging to my own advantage. It it doesn't insist on fairness. It doesn't insist on my rights. Um, It thinks like a servant. Humility gives us a fighting chance as it relates to offence. Humility chooses the things pride never will and hurt struggles to. Humility does that. Humility will put us in a place where we can choose mercy over judgment, grace, grace, over justice, um, forgiveness, sorry, sorry, over justice, etc. So let's try something. Think of a person you could potentially be offended at. Choose me if you're not sure. And think about the next statement you would make to somebody else about them. And then let's put humility over that that considers their interests, not mine, considers mercy, not fairness, considers being a servant of them, not a tyrant towards them for what they've done to us, which they might not even know about. There's the first thought. Here's the next one. Thick skinned. It says, be humble and patient. Be patient with each other. Be patient with each other. I did two surveys for this little sermon. Do you know the most common, um, I, I, I asked mature believers. I said, what, what's, the, what's the offense you struggle with most? And they said that we forgive and then we forgive and then we forgive and then people do it again. That's tough. And I agree, that's tough. In fact, I'd agree that it's very, very hard. And yet, yeah, that's what the Bible's saying. Hey, be patient with each other. Just be patient. And the word patient, here's my just delving into the Greek for you. Yeah, I thought I'd do that this week. Bron doesn't get to only use the Greek, die. It's not her domain. It's not Mike's. It's, no, do you know in the original text, here's what it actually means. In the original language, patience here is, is expressing an earnestness of thought an exertion to secure a thing not lightly obtained. And I remember reading that and going, yep, that's exactly how this patience feels. It's an exertion of effort that's not easily or lightly obtained. When I was seven, I faced the hardest offense I've ever faced in my life. When I was 17, I faced it on a larger scale with the same person. Just two weeks ago... At the age of 50, the person acted in a very similar way to when I was 17 and to when I was seven. Imagine I'd carried that. Imagine I'd allowed offense to get in on the heart and at the age of 50, it then impacts me again and that carries on for the next decade. Man, before you know it, I'll be 90, my life will be over and I'll still be offended. Offended uh, to live uh, getting over this stuff takes patience with people. Even more patience if they don't know Jesus. Well, sometimes, sometimes it's easier the other way. But, But here's the thing. Proximity makes it difficult. Remember, the one place they didn't accept Jesus was in his hometown. People say, "Oh, the church is difficult. Church people are difficult." No, church people are difficult because you have proximity. Everybody's easy at a distance. It's no secret to you that Matthew McConaughey and I are kind of mates at a distance. We we never talk, but we like each other. But if I got up close with Matthew McConaughey, I reckon I'd be offended in a very short period of time. He's easy from a distance. And Christian people are easy from a distance. And, and it's, uh, if I can speak like this, it's a lie of the enemy or it's a lie of something. I know that's so well said to think that Christian people are more difficult. My overwhelming experience is that they're far more full of grace and kindness, and gentleness, and and so, but when you have proximity, you have challenges with anybody, and if you're not sure, get married. If you're still not sure, think of your parents, and if you're still not sure, think of your children. I don't know if it works for children. Anyway, it does. Great. All right. I'm not getting very far. I want to live unoffendable, and then I, I just want to finish with this so patient with people but then then it just says this be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults so I sent out a second text last week I sent it out to some people and I said hey tell me some of my faults that I might not be aware of and they did this is a text you should send to people who love you all right and you really should because it helps us Here's what I said. Here's what I got back. They were all polite, by the way, in their opening. I can stress too much and I don't relax well. That's true. Try as I do, and I really, really do try, I'm a little unorganised. And I really, really try. In fact, we employ people so that we... Anyway, yeah. Yeah. My positivity, I thought this was just plain positive, this one, but apparently not. My positivity removes room for vulnerability. I didn't know that was potentially an offensive issue or a weakness. But it is, and I get it. I can overreact to what's going on around me, like when a child falls. I have a terrible memory, abnormally bad. And this is true, right? And then this one, and this is the one that busted me. each time I've read it I just get I feel it all over again even though I know it's true I take on too much which then can look like I don't care and I know that's true fortunately the person who wrote that put in brackets when we know you do but but I want you to think about those faults for a moment take the bad memory I'm driving my kids to uh, on yes a Friday was youth right Three times, Katie, I said to Katie, I'll drop you at Scully Pool. Three times, Katie said, Dad, is at town pool. It's a town pool. On the fourth time, I'm driving to Scully Pool to drop them off. And Katie says, Dad, we're at Town Pool. And I said, you know what? I'm glad this has happened on the way because now I won't forget where to pick you up. Yes. When I went to pick them up, I drove to Scully Pool five times in one day. I do have the worst memory you have ever encountered. Like literally the worst memory you have ever, certainly the worst I've ever encountered. And so if I'm meeting with you, I have three notifications go off and an alarm. And if my phone goes flat, I might not turn up. And so what do I need to do? Set three notifications and an alarm. But what do you need to do? Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. Right? Now that's not easy because it looks like I don't care. But it's just that it's a fault that I'm trying to fix. It doesn't ever excuse it, doesn't mean I'm off the hook, doesn't mean I shouldn't do anything about it. In fact, quite the opposite, I should work for it. But, but at the end of the day, I'm going to get it wrong and so are you. And we just have to make room for each other's faults. That's what unoffendable people do. And so as I wrap this today and as we come to this Christmas, my hope is that you will do whatever you need to do. To end the year well, to navigate Christmas well. Remember that everybody, everybody's struggling with the same things, but you and I have the power of God's Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. You have the Word of God that lights the way. We have His truth that enables us and gives us wisdom to navigate this like no other people on the planet. Imagine not having the Word of God to be able to help us out in how we navigate a fence, but you and I have it we want no reason to live and stay in offense yes it's a struggle yes it's a fight yes it has to be overcome at times but we can live unoffendable on the earth and what a light and freer way it is to live it's the best way to live the alternative is crazy it's a waste it's tragic so let's be the kind of people that determine right here right now i'm going to end of the new year no excuses no offense buddies i'm going to live the end of the new year Unoffendable. That's my commitment. That's where I'm headed. Bring glory to God. It'll help the people around us and we'll be lighter and freer in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks, mate.
0: Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au
1: And thanks again for listening.